Open your Bibles with me, please. The precious Word of God, the Second Corinthians chapter 8. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. My dear brethren, the five phases of salvation are one of the most useful things God has given us pertaining to the doctrine of salvation. And the five phases of salvation may be applied as well to the components or the facets of that salvation. When you're studying the doctrine of sanctification, which means to make something holy, to consecrate it and separate it for the particular and fitting use of God, you can divide that work of God in our salvation that is called sanctification into its five phases and what is considered a complex, almost unapproachable subject to some becomes very simple, very simple to understand five phases in which we are made holy for the use of God. And there's one phase, brethren, that is yet to come when we will be holy, holy, with the first of those holies being spelled W-H-O-L-L-Y. We'll be entirely holy. That, that phase is yet to come. But it's coming. We will be holy, holy. Thank you, Lord. But when it comes to adoption, I want you to delight, no matter how long our relationship continues, when I'm long gone, God has given us, He's given it to us, the five phases of salvation and when applied to adoption, they serve us so well. We have covered the first phase of adoption which in a natural adoption is the Father's choice to adopt children. In our spiritual adoption, it is God Almighty's choice to adopt. And to adopt not from the angelic race to have sons, but to adopt from the human race. His rebel enemies on earth to adopt and to make some His sons. We saw that the word predestination, which is used in the Bible four times, twice in Romans 8, twice in Ephesians 1, all four occurrences have to do with adoption. Because you have had your destiny determined beforehand to be the children of God. You were predestinated to the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself. Thank you, Heavenly Father. That's the eternal phase. Remember, the eternal phase is what God did in eternity in the counsels and decrees of His own will. The legal phase is what takes place at the cross of Calvary when the legal transaction is accomplished that is necessary to satisfy the justice of God. The vital phase is when we have a living reality of it placed inside us, a living new being, our new man. A new power is in us in which the Holy Spirit dwells with that new man and gives him strength for the task of living as a child of God. The fourth phase is the practical phase where we hear the message of our adoption. Our Father tells us about it. We open a book and we find out that we were the children of the devil, but he has adopted us, translated us out of the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of Satan into the kingdom of his dear Son. And has given us his Spirit and he's told us what he's done for us and what we ought to be doing for Him to live like good, obedient, beloved children. The fifth phase is the final phase, 
We call it glorification at times. And it is a phase of adoption that we are yet waiting for. Romans chapter 8 and verse 23 tells us that there is a phase of adoption that has not yet occurred. To wit, the redemption of our bodies. That means Jesus Christ is coming back to get our bodies out of the ground because we've been adopted body, soul, and spirit. And though our bodies will be changed and changed drastically to look like His glorified body, we will have our bodies in heaven. So we've got these phases of salvation that are a useful tool that God has given to us to open these things to us. If you go back and read a commentary like John Gill, a Baptist, on the doctrine of adoption, he will, without calling them phases, bring to bear three, four, even five phases. He doesn't call them phases, but all you have to do is read and see where he talks about what took place before the world began, what took place at Calvary, what must take place in our hearts before we can believe what is brought to us by beautiful feet and what is yet to occur. It's obvious in the pages of Scripture. I have a document entitled The Five Phases of Salvation by Others because John Gill, John Bryan, and Arthur Pink knew them, though did not quite see them as clearly and they didn't have VisiCalc or a spreadsheet to put them into columns and rows like we do. And that's an advantage that we have. We can see the five phases of salvation clearly. They saw them obscurely, but they knew that they were all taught in the Bible. Brethren, we come to the legal phase. 2 Corinthians chapter 8-9 is a verse that we can use, and there's so many. I'm sh- going to share just a few with you in the minutes that we have. 2 Corinthians 8-9 For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, that ye through His poverty might be rich. Because we were not rich. We were poorer than poor. We were sinful rebel enemies of the Most High God. But our older brother, who lives today, as we sang in one of those songs, he lives. He lives. I know he lives because he lives within my heart. That's a sign that can't deceive if it results in a Christ-honoring life. But he lives. But he died for us, brethren. He died so that we could receive the adoption of sons. The older brother came and died for us rebels in the orphanage of this world, obeying the course of this world and following the devil himself. He came and died for us that we might live as the sons of God. We want to look at the purchase or the price of adoption, which is the legal transaction. The Bible says the foolish shall not stand in thy sight. Thou hatest all workers of iniquity. The Bible says our father is of purer eyes than to behold iniquity. Habakkuk 1.13 The Bible says, Exodus 34.7, that he will by no means clear the guilty. The Bible says in Nahum 1.3 that he cannot acquit the wicked. Our Father has this situation upon Him. He has purposed in eternity to adopt sinful rebel enemies. His nature will not allow them to be adopted unless their sins are fully paid for. Therefore, there is a legal price to pay, and it greatly exceeds 
the thousands of dollars that an earthly father pays to attorneys and others to adopt naturally in this world. It involved the precious life and blood of his only begotten son. That was the price that had to be paid. Jesus became our attorney. I hope you can remember some sermons a few months ago. You need a lawyer. There is one mediator. You need one. You're in the orphanage, and your orphanage, in the justice of God, and the tribunal of God, and at the judgment seat of God, is under a great debt. You are all sinners against the Lord. Who is going to pay that debt? And so Jesus the mediator came and paid it for us. There's one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. So much could be said about this. If you read Isaiah 53:10 last night, did it say that when Jesus Christ was dying for us, he saw his seed? Did he pray for his seed in John 17? Did he pray for the apostles and then for those that would believe on him through their word? that we all may be one, that they may see the glory that I had with you from before the foundation of the world? He saw His seed. He saw you. He had to die for you. For you to be brought out of the orphanage under the con- the legal, legal condemnation of your sins. Right. The legal condemnation of Adam's sin. He had to send a mediator and the lawyer was the Lord Jesus Christ. He saw His seed. And He delivered you. Look at John chapter 11. Look at John chapter 11. Can our blessed Father cause an ass to speak wisdom? As Peter would describe it, a dumb ass. Dumb meaning not lacking in intelligence, but lacking in the faculty of speech. Peter said the dumb ass forbade the madness of the prophet. That's Balaam. Our Lord can, can He? It takes a little bit more effort, but he could bring truth out of Caiaphas, the high priest, as well. Because at least the ass wasn't the arch enemy of the Lord Jesus Christ, and Caiaphas was. Caiaphas was in a council to destroy the Son of God after he raised Lazarus from the dead. John chapter 11. I begin reading at verse 47. Then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council and said, What do we? For this man doeth many miracles. What do we? Repent! How in the world can you identify this man doeth many miracles? A miracle is a supernatural operation of God in conjunction with a man. And yet they wouldn't repent. What are we going to do? They're actually asking, what should we do with the power of God on this man Jesus of Nazareth? I'll tell them what they should have done. They should have repented. But had the princes of this world known the Lord of glory, they wouldn't have crucified Him. They didn't know Him and they don't know us. If we let Him thus alone, they reasoned, all men will believe on Him. And the Romans shall come and take away both our place and nation. And one of them, named Caiaphas, being the high priest that same year, said unto them, Ye know nothing at all, nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and that the whole nation perish not. Oh, brethren, our Lord can open the 
tongue strings of an ass, and he can open the tongue strings of Caiaphas. Verse 51, And this spake he not of himself. Caiaphas didn't come up with that little explanation that can be viewed two ways. One way it can be viewed is, if we'll go ahead and take care of this one man, then our nation will be okay and the Romans won't come and take it away. But in those words was also a prophecy of what the Lord Jesus Christ was going to do, the one man who died for his people. Verse 52, uh, let's get it, let me start over again at 51. And this spake he not of himself, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for that nation, and not for that nation only, but that also he should gather together in one the children of God that were scattered abroad. That's you and me. That's the nations of Jeremiah chapter 3 that I read to you a little while ago. Praise the Lord. Our elder brother Jesus liveth. He died once that he might draw us nigh unto God. And he gathered together and won all the children of God, some of which were Jews, some of which were Gentiles. Praise his holy name. He's the mediator and he's the lawyer that we so much need. Look at Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, God's law demands our death. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The wages of sin is death. How in the world can you adopt someone that has a sentence of death on them? He cannot acquit the wicked. He cannot clear the guilty. It's against his nature to ever pardon without sin being fully paid for because he is perfectly just and holy. Romans 5.11 and not only so, all the good things that have been listed in Romans 5, 1 through 10, I've taught this to you carefully recently. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. We have been put at one again with God. That great chasm between God and us in the orphanage of this world, we hated Him, so it had nothing to do with us. But he had purposed in eternity that he was going to adopt us. But he could not adopt us with a death sentence from his own perfect justice and his own law hanging over our heads. He couldn't forget it. He couldn't overlook it. There's nothing we could do to mitigate the death that we had earned. And so the Lord Jesus Christ came and stood between and he put the two of us at one again so that that Death sentence was removed out of the way. And there are legal impediments that keep people from adopting at times. There are, you know, in a natural adoption, there are legal impediments on the part of the one adopting, and there may be legal impediments on the part of the one being adopted. Now, in in our spiritual adoption, there was no impediment with God, but there was plenty with us. We had done everything through our first father and in our own lives, To make it impossible to be the sons of God. We had rebelled against the holy God of heaven. He had to punish with death. But the Lord Jesus Christ stood in between. The Bible says, He hath made Him to be a curse for us, who knew no sin, that we might be justified in Him. I'm going to read it so you get it better than that one. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree. We were cursed, not cursed by someone else, so that God could say, well, they're not cursed in my sight. We were cursed by the God who had purposed to adopt us. 
but He made the Lord Jesus Christ to be a curse for us that we could receive the adoption of sons. So the Bible says, in the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Once a father is committed, his performance is going to follow. Once a father starts peeling out the thousands of dollars to adopt and going through the legal process and committing lots of time and lots of interviews and lots of effort and lots of preparation to adopt, he's going to follow through. But what does the Bible have to say to us on such an aspect of adoption? Romans 8.32 tells us, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? You know, a man can renege on a few thousand dollars and a little bit of effort and a little bit of time and, you know, add it, putting an addition over the garage for an adopted child. But the Lord didn't commit a few thousand dollars. The Lord committed His only begotten Son. So the Bible tells us if He's freely given us His Son, everything else is going to follow If He's given us the most precious thing to Him in the universe, His only begotten Son, the inheritance, heaven, every spiritual grace, adoption, regeneration, conversion, glorification, all of it is going to certainly follow. That's what Romans 8, 32 means. Not even the devil can lay claim to us. Colossians 2, 15 tells us that when our mediator went to work for us and brethren, We do not want the devil to be able to enter into heaven and say, What are what is Jonathan Crosby doing here? Oh, you want me to use your name? What is David Taylor doing here? He ain't no son of God. Let me tell you a few things about David Taylor and Jonathan Crosby. That's one horrible situation, isn't it? An earthly father adopts a child then finds out that there is a relationship that that child has with someone else where there are claims on that child that can get that child away from the adoptive father. That is one nightmare. And we have it because we have an enemy that wants to accuse the brethren, who are the brethren? The sons of God before God. That's why he was there laying accusations against Job in Job chapters 1 and 2. God said, Hast thou considered my servant Job? Satan said, Sure I have. The only reason he fears you is because he's got the touch of Midas. Everything he does, you bless. Take away what he's got. Take away his blessings. He'll curse you to your face. I don't need anyone like that in heaven because it's too close to the truth. So Colossians 2.15 tells me that my mediator made an open show of the devil on the cross of Calvary. He took every single thing I've ever done and every bit of weakness that I presently have and every sin that I shall commit in the future, though against my better judgment and the law of my mind, He took it and blotted it out. Blotted out the handwriting of ordinances that was against me and made an open show of the devil. So that it says in Romans 8.33, Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? And those are the sons of God that were identified in verses 28-30. through It is Christ that died. So that it says in Romans chapter 12, verses 10 and 11, that the accuser of the brethren has been cast down. The devil no longer has access into heaven to talk to God Almighty about the pitiful condition 
and state and weakness and faults and errors and sins of Jonathan Crosby. Because the accuser of the brethren has been cast down. That is the legal work of adoption, my brethren. Rejoice! My elder brother Jesus lives. And he loves me. And he laid down his life for me. And he lived perfectly for me. And the devil can't even have access into heaven. Heaven isn't big enough. And it's infinitely big. But it's not big enough for the Lord Jesus Christ and the devil. He's cast out. And he's on his way to an eternity in the lake of fire. No accusations coming out of that place. Just a sweet aroma in the nostrils of God of what Jesus Christ did for you and me. That is the legal phase of salvation. We could spend another hour on it, but there's no need. That is our legal adoption. The price that was paid to purchase us from the justice of God was paid by our attorney, who happened to be also our older brother, who happened to lay down his life as the payment to get us out of the orphanage, even though we despised him and considered him under the judgment of God for his own sins. Isaiah 53. But he was bruised for our iniquities. The transgression of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. There's no drama like this anywhere written in any time. No man is able to conceive something so incredibly glorious. This is the gospel. You hear the word gospel. People hear the word gospel and they scoff at it. What's the gospel? It's good news. It's glad tidings about what I just told you. And that's just part of the story. So we're legally the children of God. Jesus Christ came and paid the legal price so that all the charges against us by a holy and just God are lifted. We're justified. We're sanctified legally. We're redeemed. The atonement's been made. The mediator has put us at one again. There has been propitiation and peace instituted between the two of us, but we still have a serious problem. We still have a serious problem. Almighty God has purposed to adopt us. He has come into the orphanage of this world where we were under the power of the prince of the air. And we were acting just like the children of disobedience and the children of wrath. And we were by nature just like them. We still have this sinful nature in us. And this sinful nature is rebellious against God and hates God. Though elected and justified, we only have an old man in the flesh. And he's totally at enmity with our new father. We're adopted children. The price has been paid. The father comes in. We're handed over to him. He takes us. But we're kicking. We're screaming. We're thrashing. We do not want to go home with the father of glory. We do not want to go home with the father of lights. We do not want heaven as our home. Earth is too good. I don't want to die and go to heaven. I've got my heaven right here. Oh, you live that way every time you choose sin over righteousness. And the wicked say it out loud. We say it by our actions. Lord, save us from ever saying such a thing. That's your old man screaming out in its depraved love of sin. In natural adoption, sometimes the adopted child, retaining the biological nature from usually perverse parents, despises their loving and kind new parents, Because they have a gene pool and a genetic makeup of their nature of being of a rebellious sort where the sins of the fathers are visited to the children to the third and the fourth generation. It's a problem with adoption. 
And it's a problem with spiritual adoption. God chose to have sons to manifest His glory to the universe. His son came and died to pay the price legally for us. But you and I still are ugly, nasty, mean, and enemies of God. We still love sin. We prefer sin. We prefer the devil to Almighty God. We look up and we see that the heavens declare the glory of God. And we make to ourselves idols and images, birds, beasts, creeping things. We will not be thankful. We will not give Him glory. Romans chapter 1 taught us all of this as we made our way through that chapter. We have this by nature, and so we need a change of nature. Look at John chapter 3. John chapter 3. Oh, it's a terrible thing when a parent adopts a child that comes from really ugly, mean, cruel, perverse, profane, low lives. You take the child home, you diaper it, you feed it, you love it, you care for it, you give it shelter, you give it toys, you show every benefit toward it that you can, and then that nature comes out. Now that nature comes out of every child, whether you adopt them or not. And so if you were, if you took a dislike to any of the words I said, anything that you bear biologically is also out of a gene pool of ugliness, profanity, and perversity, and a low life, Because guess what you are? Okay, I hope that nobody is confused by my description. Because our nature is all the same. And that is the truth. John chapter 3. Jesus said in his long discourse with Nicodemus about the things of the kingdom of heaven, in verse 6 he said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Two births, two different kinds of men are born as a result. If you've only got one birth, you're only flesh. If you've got a second birth, then you're also spirit. Come to Romans 8. Romans chapter 8 and verses that we covered a few weeks ago. Romans chapter 8. Our Father has purposed to adopt for the most glorious drama in the universe that He would take sinful rebel enemies of a lower sort, that is humanity, which is lower than the angels, and adopt them to be His sons. For the glory of His grace, the praise of His glory throughout eternity. He he purposed it, called predestination and election. He paid for it with His virgin-born, only begotten Son. But there's still a problem. He's now paid for us. We're His property. But our nature is not like Him. Our nature is contrary to Him. And so he must make a change. Romans 8 says in verse 7, Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh, so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. John 3, 6, That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Here's the huge difference right here in this Romans chapter 8. If you're only in the flesh, and that's what we all were at some point in our lives, we were predestinated. Let's start. I can't reverse myself. It's too much for my mind. If we were predestinated and then purchased, we still have this flesh nature 
that is at enmity against God and in fact is so bad it can't be subject to the law of God. We can't please God. So the they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Now why would God want to adopt children that cannot please Him? He didn't. He has a plan. It's the glorious wisdom and power of God. Something we can't do when we adopt. Something we can't do when our wives give birth. We can't change the nature of our children. Which one do I want to pick on? Out pops a Rachel. She's going to be a Rachel. Now, we can try to apply the rod of correction and drive some foolishness out of her, but she's still going to have a sin nature. She's still going to be Rachel the little sinner. And I love my oldest daughter very much, but I just had to pick one of them. So I just did. I'll pick a grandchild if you don't all smile and nod your heads in agreement that you understand. Bethany, you're next. It doesn't matter whether we adopt or whether we give birth. They have a nature. And that nature is going to come out as they get older. And as we grow up, what course do we follow? We follow the course of this world. The God of heaven who created us, shows us His glory, fills our hearts with food and gladness. We boast against Him. We choose sin against Him. When we're His people, as the Israelites did in the 12 tribes, they went and worshipped false gods. Unbelievable. The height of ingratitude. Rebellion. Perversity. Corruption in their natures. So God must change us. Look at John 8.47. John 8.47. Throughout the pages of Scripture, there are Cain's and Abel's. And the difference between them is one's a child of God and one's a child of the devil. That is why there are prayers offered in this assembly when we conceive a child. And I hope that the prayers are offered before we conceive them. But it doesn't matter to the Most High that that child is going to be a child of God. John chapter 8 and verse 47. Jesus is addressing a crowd that wants to kill him. And he says, He that is of God heareth God's words. That's a man who's been born of the Spirit. Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. There is the difference right there between men. And so God has predestinated us to be His children. He's paid for it by the death of Jesus Christ. And He then regenerates us. You know what re means? To do it again. Generation means to give birth to. Regeneration means to be born again. It's the terminology of the Bible. It's the terminology of John 3. And so by the mighty operation of the Spirit of God, another birth takes place, and we have a new man inside us. We have a new man that is created in righteousness and true holiness. There is a new Jonathan Crosby that will for eternity inhabit a glorified body. At the present time, I still have the old body that loves sin, and my old man is attached to that body. It's connected with it, and I will shed it at death. Death becomes a glorious thing when you understand what happens to your old man. It dies with that body. And the resurrection is to get a glorified body to put my new man in it. This is when you're born again. When you're born the first time by your parents, you have their nature. Sinner. When you're born again with the Spirit of God, you have His nature. Saint. Sanctified. Holy. That's why it says so plainly in John, in Romans chapter 8, excuse me, Romans chapter 8, it says so plainly that if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. 
I mean, it's the presence of the Spirit in us and a new man created in us. That is a wonderful thing. And that new man makes all the difference in the world on how you view the things of God. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Even though they're words you know so well, I want you at this point in our study of Romans to see adoption everywhere. It is the... It is the final chapter for us to get our eternal inheritance as the children of God. It's the culminating event of the drama of the universe. Romans 8 is going to teach us that. The whole creation is groaning in travail and pain waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. This whole universe is moving toward God Almighty identifying who are His children, and putting them on thrones next to Him, and casting the rest of the human race and the non-elect or reprobate angels into the lake of fire. The whole creation moves toward that event. It is not taught or talked about anywhere except in a few pulpits. It is the most important event coming in the future. It is certainly not the elections of 2012. It is certainly not the Olympics of 2012. The most important event in the universe is Judgment Day when God will own His elect as His sons before the universe. This is what we were like by nature. Ephesians 2.1 And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. We were born again. We got life from above. We were quickened. We were made alive. Wherein? In that death, in that First nature from our first parents, wherein in time past ye walked. This was our lifestyle according to the course of this world. We're no different than those people in Romans chapter 1. According to the prince of the power of the air, the devil was our instructor and leader. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. The children of disobedience. There's two kinds of people on earth. There's the sons of God and there's the sons of the devil. There's the children of disobedience and there's the righteous. Verse 3, among whom, among those children of disobedience that followed the course of this world and the prince of the power of the air, we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. There was no difference. Our nature was just like theirs. And when it says children of wrath, that means they're the children that God's going to pour His wrath out upon. But God, but God, our Father, but God, who is rich in mercy for His great love wherewith He loved us, because He had purposed to adopt us. And we had that terrible nature of sin that was brought upon us by our first father. But God, who is rich in mercy for His great love, wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. Jesus Christ He quickened in chapter 1 when He raised Him from the dead. Jesus didn't need to be again because He didn't have an old man or an old nature from His parents. Because He didn't have an earthly father, He had a heavenly father. But Jesus was raised bodily from the dead. And the same power as it's described in verses 19 and 20 of chapter 1, that raised Jesus' body from the dead is the same power applied toward us to give us a new man. So that chapter 4 and verse 24 can say that she put off concerning the former conversation 
the old man and put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. I love to quote that verse. Because that verse tells me there's a new Jonathan Crosby by a second birth. The birth of the Holy Spirit. And that second Jonathan Crosby is created by God. He's the only creator in righteousness and true holiness. Not hypocritical holiness, not professed holiness, not the world's concept of holiness, but true holiness. And for you too as well. This is the gospel. These are three phases so far of our adoption. Thank you, Lord, for adopting us. Thank you, Lord, for changing our nature. Our second nature, our our second birth, it tells us in 2 Peter chapter 1, it makes us partakers of the divine nature. Now, wait a minute. Really? Really? It's 1 Corinthians 2.16 say, but we have the mind of Christ. It does. Does it say that we can? he that is spiritual judgeth all things? It does. Does it say that we can be filled with all the fullness of God? Do we believe that we're gods like the Mormons? No. We believe we're the sons of God like the Lord Jesus Christ. Partakers of the divine nature. So that now we can have fellowship. Once we're told about our Father, we have a nature that when we hear the news of the Gospel, all of a sudden something's changed. Instead of rebelling it against that and thinking it's just foolish religious tripe, the opiate of the people, get it, get it away from me, we understand that in that message are the hidden, is the hidden wisdom of the universe, the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, the secrets God has for His people. What made that change? God regenerated us so that we were born again into the family of God and we have a new man that loves our Father, loves the law of God, wants to be subject to the law of God and do everything pleasing to God. And it's that warfare that we have until the day this body drops and our old man will drop with it, our spirit will rise into heaven, being born again by the Spirit of God and soon be clothed upon with a new tabernacle a glorified body, and we shall be forever with the Lord in perfect holiness and righteousness all the days of our lives. On what basis? The predestinating grace of God before the world began. The sacrificial grace of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary to pay the price and to be our mediator and the sovereign power of the Holy Spirit to come in and change our natures. God looked into the orphanage of this world and saw us rebel enemies. He called on His first begotten Son to lay down His life for us. And that Son prayed, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but Thine be done. He saw His seed, you and me, and He laid down His life for us. He could have called twelve legions of angels, but He died alone for you and me. As we sing it, then the Holy Spirit changes our nature. God the Father looked into the orphanage of this world and He saw none that understood or sought after Him, but He decided to save some anyway. According to the good pleasure of His own will, He sent the Lord Jesus Christ for the purchase price of their adoption. And then He came in and possessed us and took us out of that orphanage 
and changed our natures. As I've described it in the past, He took us out of that orphanage and threw us in the back seat of His limo. And you and I ended up on the back seat of His limo. But we weren't born again yet. We were fighting back there and clawing at each other and spitting at our Father in the front seat. We hated, we were living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another, as the Apostle Paul would describe, being in the back seat of the limo of God's adoption. And then God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, lived, changed our natures so that we love the driver of our limo, God Almighty, and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and we love the brethren that He's adopted and put in the back seat with us. And the Bible will then bring us to the practical phase of salvation where He tells us how we should treat one another, but He's given us a heart to it. He would tell the Thessalonians that God's taught you in your heart that you ought to love one another, but I pray that you would increase in it more and more so that we can be better and better as the children of God. Oh, brethren, this is the gospel. There are secret things that have been devised before the world existed. And there are secret things that are going to be executed after the world is burned up. We know about all of them. And they involve us as the heirs of God, the heirs of heaven. We are the sons of God. Let's live like it. May Jesus Christ be praised. Amen.